0: One of the most important treatments we can offer our loved ones with Parkinson's disease is exercise therapy. I think you're going to enjoy our interview today with Keith Koo, a local physical therapist here in Tulsa who specializes in balance disorders and treating Parkinson's disease. Hello and welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. This podcast is produced for care partners and caregivers of loved ones with Parkinson's disease. This show is brought to you by Dr. Kloss's new book, You're a Better Parkinson's Disease Caregiver Than You Think. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. Well, I'm so pleased to introduce our guest today, Keith Koo, a physical therapist from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He graduated from the University of Oklahoma in 1985 with a degree in physical therapy. He has received numerous certifications and trainings in Parkinson's disease through the National Parkinson's Foundation, as well as vestibular rehabilitation certifications from Emory, He is licensed in the Light Gate Unweighting Dynamic Suspension System, which is used to treat gait disorders with Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, and other neuropathic disorders. He has received numerous awards and has served as a president, vice president, and other leadership positions in the Oklahoma Physical Therapy Association and he has over 34 years of experience treating patients with Parkinson's disease in physical therapy and balance rehabilitation services. Keith has been pivotal in evaluating my patients from my practice as well as helping them with their therapy and exercise programs. He's made such a difference in their lives. And Keith, we just appreciate you taking the time away from your busy practice to be with us today on the show. Thank you for being here today. I try to send as many newly diagnosed patients with Parkinson's disease to see you. A newly diagnosed patient may have minimal neurological impairments, especially after we stabilize them on medication. I send them over because I want them to understand how important exercise will be in treating the condition, and I want them to know what specific areas need to be strengthened, especially physically. What do you typically recommend to an early-stage person with
1: Parkinson's disease? So depending on their stage of Parkinson's, the later-stage Parkinson's patient, typically we're seeing them because of balance and false uh, seeing them because they have gait deficiencies, such as freezing and shuffling, uh, postural changes because of decreased flexibility. Um, those are the things that we generally see them for up front. Um, the early Parkinson's patient that we, uh, early diagnosed Parkinson's patient, we see um, they're primarily in to establish some kind of exercise regimen that they don't have.
0: As you know, we do not have any randomized clinical trials comparing treadmill exercise to bike riding or, for that matter, comparing any exercise modality to one another. Do you recommend a certain type of aerobic exercise for people
1: with Parkinson's disease? So first things first, in the, the thing that I try to bring across to these patients, whether they're new onset or whether they have had Parkinson's for a while, is they need to keep a long-term exercise regimen. So it's not just for now, it's for year on out, mm-hmm. because we know that if you do the long-term exercise, we know that uh, the cerebral cortex, the hippocampus uh, improve or reduce the white matter loss. Uh, never mind the Parkinson's patient. That's for every person that is aging. Uh, An exercise regimen actually helps that process along. What happens is that the aerobic exercise doesn't matter what it is, uh, actually has research to support that the process actually, or Parkinson's actually slows down, um, The other piece of the puzzle, we take a look at the neuroplasticity factor, uh, that the brain derived neurotrophic factors, the brain produces that with exercise of some kind, Uh, in this case, aerobic exercise, and that actually slows down the Parkinson's progression. So that's the thing I push heavily if they don't do anything else, they need to have an aerobic activity of some kind, whether it's walking uh, on a treadmill, off a treadmill, um, whether it's on a bike, whether it's elliptical, uh, anything to bring the heart rate up to target. Uh, so as we go through the process of establishing that regimen, we work through, here's how you find your target. Here are the tools you need to be able to maintain that heart rate at that level, um, based upon the American Heart Association. It's anywhere from, uh, three to five, no, sorry, um, exercising five to seven days a week, maintaining their heart rate at target, um, in that timeframe. frame. So the, so the typical advice for a new onset or, uh, I guess new onset Parkinson's, uh, is to establish that exercise regimen. The big thing that we tried to push through that process is making sure they have an aerobic exercise process, an aerobic exercise program of some kind. Um, and maybe for the first part, even having an exercise program, for the most part, people don't have an exercise regimen. Uh, and so establishing that aerobic capacity will be fairly important for them up front. Um, and then for the older persons down the line or the Parkinson's patients that have had it for a while, perhaps if they've been on an exercise regimen to break some bad habits, uh, maybe they're not doing an aerobic activity, uh, they're doing some strengthening, mild stretching, not targeted to what they actually need at that point in life or at that point in their diagnosis. So we're working through with them trying to get that established.
0: Keith is a balance specialist. He sees patients with balance difficulties from all types of causes, including the inner ear or vestibular disorders, strokes, and other neurological diseases. How do you determine if a balance problem is solely due to Parkinson's disease or some other cause
1: or both? So first come first. So let's take a look at what where the systems are failing for one. So the basal ganglia is a key portion with the Parkinson's patient. And we know that the loops associated with that process digress. And so that's one piece of the puzzle. The second piece of the puzzle is um, axial postural tone, rigidity to where they don't they're not as flexible as they used to be. That's another piece of the puzzle. And then taking a look at the posture, uh, they tend to be a lot more forward flex, they lean and, and get into trouble that way. So, and just with that alone, the range of motion with them flex forward changes the center of gravity. And so a Parkinson's patient particularly is because of posture that they're losing some of that ability to maintain an upright position. So the goal will be to take a look at that posture and see how we can correct that as one balance that, uh, piece of the puzzle. So if you're leaning forward fairly far, uh, if you're leaning forward as a result of that flex posture, your center of gravity gets pushed forward. So you would feel like you're falling forward all the time. Um, we take a look at the tight tissue, for example, at the ankles, uh, not having very tight heel cords and not having the ability to raise your toes up as you start Losing your balance backwards and you cannot raise your toes up, you tend to fall. And so that's piece of the puzzle we're taking a look as far as the Parkinson's patient is concerned. Now realize that the Parkinson's patient's functions also to correct the loss of balance is becoming an issue. So the slowness of their ability to correct be via balance strategies, uh, because they're pretty kinetic is something we want to take a look at as well. Uh, how much can they actually move to get there? And then the other pieces of the puzzle that don't affect just the Parkinson's patient alone, that affects the general population as you get older or even a younger patient that might have vertigo. Um, If you have vertigo, automatically your inner ear is not functioning as well. And when it doesn't function as well, you've taken away one balance system. There are a total of three balance systems that we take a look at. One is the vestibular apparatus or the inner ear. Another is the vision, and not basically what you see, but what you perceive you see. And then the last but not least is the somatosensory or the proprioceptive feedback. And this is where the Parkinson's patient fails again, because chances are that their low extremities are weak. And so if they're weak, then the somatosensory system fails. So now you only have one system left, and that's your eyes. So we take a look at each of the structures and see which one is lacking and subsequently uh, work towards getting those balanced activities back again to where they can function as well as they can. Um, The key thing with this process, as I see it, is that they need to have help help from their caregivers to make sure that they're doing the exercises correctly um, uh, or being consistent with the exercise.
0: The doctor that sees our loved one with Parkinson's disease may not have mentioned a physical therapy referral. Should the care partner or caregiver ask for
1: a physical therapy referral? So up front, um, if there's been no recommendation for therapy or for exercise or for any of that nature, it's worth the while to get evaluated anyway to see what your level of function is Um, and, and again to establish that regimen. Um, if you're when should you do it you should do it whether you like it or not it's worth the while As, as we talked about earlier as you age your white matter loss increases if you do the exercise the decrease in white matter occurs or maintains so definitely want an exercise regimen. Um, the golden years, as we keep saying, is not there. Mm-hmm. You have to work hard at maintaining that. Um, at 50 to 60 years of age, you've lost anywhere from 30 to 50% of your muscle mass. And if you lose that muscle mass, which system's affected? The somatosensory system. The somatosensory system's affected, and then you have to rely on your inner ear. You have to rely on your eyes. So that's what we can start pushing towards to establish that regimen up front to get those systems working well enough. So to answer your question a roundabout way, um, there is the earlier the better. <laughs> Don't wait. We want to establish the good habits um, of having an exercise regimen to take you through the entire process of Parkinson's.
0: Are there earlier physical signs or symptoms that might alert us to the possibility of
1: Parkinson's disease? So the thing to take a look at right up front, if you don't have, if you haven't been diagnosed and you think that there is a problem, what is the first thing you should ask is, where's your smell? Is the smell intact? If it's not intact, that'd be a good sign to think about mm, possibility of Parkinson's. Are you constipated a lot? Uh, these are all things that we take for granted that we have but if you don't have that that might be the first signs. um can are you constantly asking your loved one huh i can't hear you speak up tell me again loss of voice volume loss of voice ability is a big piece of the puzzle as well um loss of coordination so suddenly they seem to be stumbling a whole lot more they're holding on to the walls they're holding on to furniture not so steady that would be a great time to get in touch with a movement disorder specialist like dr class and go through that process of evaluation to make sure that indeed it's not parkinson And, and then if that's the case then we can deal with the balance side of things so no matter whether it's parkinson's or not it's worth the while to get that evaluation done
0: Keith, I see a lot of Parkinson's disease patients in my clinic who have reached the more advanced stages. They may be struggling to stand and walk short distances with help. They may have cognitive challenges, as you know. Would these patients benefit from physical therapy, or is there a point where physical therapy is no
1: longer valuable? There is never a time that you think it's a lost cause. It's never a lost cause. Um, remember, the brain is neuroplastic. The brain can change. And with exercise, guess what happens? That neuroplasticity occurs. So we want to make sure, yeah, m- there is never a lost cause. Uh So definitely we have a lot of different technologies to help that kind of uh, person. So... If they're not walking very much, how do we get them to walk a little bit more? Um, the clinic that I'm at has special devices like body weight support systems. Uh, we want to establish the speed of walking. We want to establish the safety. So the body weight support systems are harness that we actually can put them in and have them walking at what is a quote-unquote normal pace without the chance of falling. And so once we can establish that uh, Gate pattern, we can establish a pattern that we can actually, what is a model learned function, so the brain can understand this is how it's supposed to be. From that point, then you can start pushing uh, at home as a caregiver saying, okay, you have gone through this, let's work through this together, let's take that longer step, let's put that heel down, let's make sure we're increasing the speed. Uh, so thinking about that becomes another piece of the puzzle. Uh, Taking a look at your assistive device. The assistive device that typically gets, um, prescribed is a front wheel walker. Uh, last piece of device you want because it's unsafe. Um, when you make a turn, the chances are that's where you're going to fall, especially somebody with a shuffling gate or even a freezing gate. So instead, we're actually going to a four wheel walker. So the device that, which is used is certainly very important to get the, uh, if you would, the expertise from a physical therapist to say okay yeah this is not the device to use this is perhaps the way to go uh, so if you're freezing if you're having difficulty uh, with shuffling and freezing then let's take a look at alternative techniques to help you be able to walk uh, quote-unquote normally again mm-hmm. uh, and therefore reduce the effects of a stage that is much more difficult.
0: I have patients in my clinic who are often reluctant to use a walker. In fact, they insist on even using just a cane. Do you think canes
1: are safe generally for Parkinson's disease patients? So if you take a look at a single tip cane, there's only one point touching the ground. It's not very much stability. If you take a four-wheeled walker, you have four more points on the ground and therefore increase the stability. You have to remember that with most Parkinson's patients that are in the later stages, um, radikinesia sets in. The slowness of movement prevents you from moving that cane fast enough in that one hand. So what happens if the right side's primarily affected by the Parkinson? The left hand cannot help you because it does not it's not holding onto the cane. However, if it's holding onto a walker, now you have that ability to correct that loss of balance much easier being able to establish that stepping strategy, which is very key in preventing a fall. Um, so I don't want to use a walker is what I get all the time until they go ahead and use it and going, oh my gosh, this is so much easier to walk with than the single tip cane. I can go a lot faster. I can get to point B a lot quicker. Uh, oh, it has a seat fantastic. When I get tired, I can sit down. Uh, I don't see a seat with a single tip cane or with a crotch or with a form. any of the other devices that don't have that particular piece that you need at times. There
0: are some new types of walkers such as the U-step and upright walkers. Do you see any
1: advantages of one type over another? So if you have a, a later stage Parkinson's patient uh, or love one, then a heavier walker would make it a lot easier for them to maintain stability. would be as if you were holding on to furniture or the wall. Um, that's where the U-step would come in handy. The U-step is a little bit bulky, um, but definitely for that type patient, there are a few patients that benefit from it. And, but Otherwise, there are other walkers up there. You can actually use an upright walker or a forearm walker that actually holds you into an upright posture, again, correcting those balance deficiencies, uh, correcting the ability to uh, the bending forward or the stoop position that you generally end up with. So the goal would be to be able to have you standing upright, move the center of gravity back, improve your balance right off the bat, increase the speed. If you try walking with bent forward posture, your legs don't go very far. Then you end up taking a short step no matter how hard you try. So let's get you into upright position, whether it's with a step or with a forearm walker or an upright walker. And now you're going to be able to walk a lot more um, steadily and with a lot more efficiency and speed. Uh, speed becomes an issue. And what is Parkinson's? Everything slows down. So the goal would be to try to increase that speed to maintain the stability, not decrease the stability.
0: That's great advice. Thank you, Keith. I know you facilitate support group meetings at your facility as well as offer group classes in Tai Chi for Parkinson's disease. What are your thoughts on Tai Chi, yoga, Boxing classes for
1: people with Parkinson's disease. So if you think about whether it's Tai Chi or whether it's yoga or any of those programs, remember that anytime you can interact with your loved one, anytime you can interact with your Parkinson's patient uh, together, it makes it much easier for them to want to do the exercise for one. So that's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, The second part of it is control being able to control their inabilities to maintain stability. So yoga, tai chi, both do that very nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want speed, then we talk about a boxing program. If you want more of a high-level activity, we can look at a cycling exercise program uh, using the theracycle or equivalent of that. Uh, so there are tons of exercises or tons of mechan- mechanics to get you going. You just have to pick the one that you like. So if you don't like yoga, hmm, fine, we'll use Tai Chi. If you don't like Tai Chi and you want something a little bit more aggressive, then let's do boxing. Or if you don't like that, then it, perhaps if you like cycling, there are tons of cycles out there that are motivational. Uh Latest ones are by Peloton. Uh, hmm, which is the one? Uh Peloton? Peloton? Yeah, Peloton. Peloton. Peloton, that's the word, right? They have actually screens. You can ride the Alps uh gives you some way of, um how would I say, maintaining your ability to do something, keeping your attention rather than, geez, I have to cycle for another 20 minutes. I'm totally bored. Let's take a look at the screen and let's follow somebody on there and be able to get that done. So again, mm-hmm. how do I get them out of that? How do I keep my attention? How do I, as a caregiver, help my person, my Parkinson's loved one get going again? Very good. As you
0: evaluate patients, do you see a difference in outcomes when the patient is trying to follow an exercise routine alone versus a patient that has a care partner or a caregiver involved in the exercise program with them? So
1: as a caregiver, you actually are going to be their cheerleader. As a caregiver, you're the one that's going to help them through that cycle of oh, geez I don't want to do this today I'm not so happy about it. I'm tired I'm doing mm, I don't want to do this uh, they become very apathetic um, and then as their cognition declines as well uh, that's something a caregiver can assist in in helping them go through the exercise so if you do the exercise with your loved one if you do it with somebody else it makes a hundred percent improvement rather than uh I've got to do this hey, I'll put it by the side I've got something else to do and therefore I won't do it. But maintaining that exercise regimen has been very. You know, there's research after research article that talks about maintaining the exercise allows you to attenuate, allows you to slow down the process of Parkinson. So why not?
0: So how do we help caregivers manage the unique challenges of Parkinson's disease with their loved one?
1: Yeah. So we talked about apathy already. Having the need for a caregiver to be the cheerleader. Uh, we also want to establish and we want to actually evaluate the cognitive losses. Um, and we can do that through either speech therapy or equivalent of that to help them understand the pieces to the puzzle and then subsequently incorporate any of those exercises into get making either to maintain their cognitive level or improve their cognitive level. Um, so we already know that the hippocampus is crucial to memory. And guess what? Uh, there are very few brain regions that actually regenerate those cells. The hippocampus is one of them. And guess what does it? Uh, exercise. So being able to get that neurogenesis, uh, the long-term, the key word is long-term, aerobic exercise becomes critical. So again, the caregiver can be that cheerleader, can be that emphasis, can be the back to push them to maintain that level of activity throughout the process.
0: What are some of the technologies that may help people with
1: Parkinson's disease with their gait and balance challenges? So I'm going back to doc, what Dr. Faye Horak, she's a, she's been in this business of balance and, and Parkinson's for a very, very long time. Uh, I'm going to read a, a. I guess a quote from her. Uh, My experience is that patients often habituate to a cue. They benefit at first and then they use it over and over. And even within an hour or two, they switch to another. They need to switch to another kind of cue. Uh, I have patients who are clever and use lots of different types of cues. So the point is, what cue can I give or can I use to allow my system to function? And when we talk about cues, we talk about um, biggest one will be shuffling and freezing. How do I stop that from happening? So I'm shuffling and freezing. I'm going to need a cue. What's that cue? That cue is perhaps a laser. You've seen the lasers that can be attached to a cane. The latest one that I've seen is a, it's called the next stride. It can be attached to anything. Um, so whether it's a walker, whether it's a cane or whether it's any device. You uh, will actually give you a cue to be able to step to that level or that distance to increase um, the ability uh, to take a longer step. Uh, it will also help prevent your uh, shuffling because when you shuffle, it's all about small steps. So the goal here is to increase the size of step. So the next stride or the laser cue by U-step, both of them actually have an auditory piece of the puzzle. So now we add a second piece that we talked about if the patient has to use another cue, how do I get it in? How do I push that process? Uh, it may be a cadence uh, that is turned on like a metronome, or it may be music. It, I've We've actually had Parkinson's patients that only respond to music, to walk. Uh, we had a, a patient that uh, was a classical, uh, I guess, performer, and the only way she could walk was actually to listen to classical music. In classical music, it's very difficult to hear the beat, but she could hear the beat and dang if she did not have any problems walking with a long step at the correct pace uh, without any difficulty. Turn off the music and she was in trouble. Mm. Uh So all of those are nice pieces to the puzzle. More passively, we can use the uh, balance wear, um, balance. It's the balanced body torso weighting system. It's a vest, uh, that uses, uh, very small, non-obtrusive weights. And we're talking maybe an eight to no more than uh, half a pound of res- uh, weights that are strategically placed on the vest to allow that sensory feedback to enhance the brain's ability to attend to the patient's direct uh, directional instability, if you would, uh, and therefore stabilize them and improve their balance. So that can be a very, how would I say, inobtrusive, you have to wear a vest, but in the summer might not be so happy. They're coming out with a new lightweight, mm, breathable, et cetera, that works much, much better. Um, but you can actually improve your balance literally within a uh, same visit. So we assess you right off the bat. And there are, by the way, very few people that do that in Oklahoma. At this point, there are just two of us. There's one in Oklahoma City and one in Tulsa. And I just happen to be that person. Uh, so if that's another way to get your balance corrected, a inobtrusive, very easy way to do it. Then by all means, that's uh, another tool that we can use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it might be simple as your telephone, as your mobile phone with music set up on it or with a cadence uh, metronome set up on it that you can put a, a, um, earbud in your ear so you can actually hear it, not create that fuss with everybody else. Uh, So uh, you can walk with it and nobody never knows that you're listening to the cadence or nobody never knows you're listening to music to help you walk as normal as normal can be. So
0: as a caregiver for a loved one with Parkinson's disease, how do we find the right therapist to evaluate and treat our loved one?
1: And that, again, I think you would need to go back to your primary care or even your neurologist or whoever's evaluating you at that point in time, and they may have a recommendation. Uh, They should have already been in contact with somebody that is well-versed in treating Parkinson's patient. Um, You want to look for somebody that understands Parkinson's, to know the ins and outs, to know what the pitfalls are with the Parkinson's patient. On top of that, you probably need to find somebody that can address all the other pieces to the puzzle. So should they have uh, balance issues? Uh, should they have vertigo issues? Should they have anything like that? Is that therapist capable of treating that problem? Mm-hmm. You cannot treat one without the other. Um, what about pain? So can that therapist deal with the low back pain as a result of that poor posture or as a result of having a forward head to where the neck now is involved I cannot turn the head as much? So a therapist has to be an all-rounder to be able to address those pieces. They are few and far between, but they exist. Uh, so I think uh, it would behoove you to look at um, the physical therapist and ask those questions. Can you see my loved one for... Parkinson's, yes, but can you also treat all the associated issues and you understand how to treat those issues and not, um, I guess, put Parkinson's to the wayside and only treat the orthopedic issues.
0: That's very good advice. So overall, what recommendation would you offer a care partner
1: or a caregiver with a loved one with Parkinson's disease? So Remember that if they have not, or are in the early process of being staged as Parkinson's, then as a caregiver, uh, again, your response is gonna have to be, how can I help you? How can I interject my, mm, how can I be a support to you in any way or form? Uh, realize that the first thing that comes to mind is that, oh my gosh, I have Parkinson's, now what? All right, so support from a caregiver becomes absolutely important. Mm uh caregiver needs to be as supportive as you can possibly be. So remember that if when you're starting an early exercise regimen, the chances are that at some point they're gonna say, Ah, it's not helping. It's it I I'm doing perfectly fine. You're as a caregiver, so up front you're gonna have to say, uh uh-uh, uh, no, time to go exercise. Let's do it together. Let's see whether we can both be fit at the same time, uh and go on from there. Remember that even a younger person with Parkinson's, a young onset patient, uh, can have balance problems. So you don't have to wait till you're in your older golden years to have a balance problem. And just because you have Parkinson's doesn't mean, oh sorry, just because you don't have Parkinson's does not mean you have don't have balance problems, you do. Um, when you have vertigo, who takes care of your vertigo? How do you resolve that? Remember that if you have vertigo, your balance sucks. So you have to be able to attenuate and correct that. So that that does not become a continual problem as you go further and further through the Parkinson's process. So now that you are in the stage two, stage three, stage four Parkinson's, uh, your function decreases, um, your role as a caregiver changes. Your role as a caregiver becomes not only a cheerleader, but you need to do all the heavy lifting, so to speak. Um, you need to learn about how to treat your loved one, how to care for that loved one. Uh, what kind of devices can I assist you with that process? Um, you know, if it's just as simple as grab bars, uh, those need to be addressed. Uh, or as simple as perhaps, how do I turn my loved one in bed? Or how do I assist them to stand when they have difficulty doing that? All of those techniques, again, can be taught by a physical therapist so that you can do that safely for number one, you don't hurt yourself. If you hurt yourself, your loved one's in trouble because nobody's gonna look after them as well as you can. So that piece of the puzzle becomes important. So if I have a
0: loved one who is newly diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, it sounds like I need to think about my own health and fitness. I need to get going on an exercise
1: program in order to
0: stay fit for the journey?
1: And on top of that, I think in the early phases of Parkinson's, not having knowledge is a big problem. So your goal as a new onset and as a caregiver, uh, you need to gain as much knowledge as you can. Um, Either uh, ask your physician or if you don't and want a little bit more unobtrusive, the the National Parkinson's Foundation or the American Parkinson's Foundation, all have tons of information on their website that is available to you right off the bat. The local um Parkinson's Foundations, like in Oklahoma, we have a local um state-run Parkinson's Foundation that have local representatives that you can call, uh, that you can get information. You need to find a support group. Support groups provide a means of, I have this problem, now I can talk to somebody about it and what the pitfalls might be. Or with a part, with a support group, you can get more information. Support group that we do is purely information driven. We want um, you to understand how, what the Parkinson's process is, what the pitfalls are, what you might look for now, what you might look for in the future, what are non-motor problems that you don't think about. Uh, non-motor problems can be, you know, cognition can be very much hallucinations. Why am I getting hit at night? Um, all those things we talk about and trying to establish and making sure that you, as a caregiver, can provide the best care for them. So get information up front, understand the process, and then it'll become a lot easier to manage as the disease progresses. I see. I have to ask
0: about nagging, uh, Keith. Caregivers tell me all the time... That they are instructed to point out reminders or cues such as, take a big step, pull your shoulders back with better posture, speak louder, but they feel like they're nagging their loved one. They feel like they're pestering them, and sometimes this causes a strain in the relationship. Is there a balance? Should they stop bothering their loved one and
1: not remind them constantly about these things? And that's something we establish with all of our patients that, well, the patients I see anyway, uh, that have Parkinson's right off the bat. I will say pretty much anticipate that that's what's going to happen. Um, you are going to feel like you're being nagged. Uh, you are going to feel like, yeah, I, I, I as a caregiver, I'm going to have to push so hard to get them to function better. Um, there's a fine line you, you tread, right? So uh, you need to know when to back off. But you also need to know when to interject. You need to know when to push. And guess what? That push needs to be often over and over again. Remember, this is a neurological problem. So the more repetitions you do, the more the brain resets. And the less you do, the less it resets, obviously. And therefore, problems occur. So having them repeat the process is certainly helpful. And up front I usually talk to the Parkinson's patient is you need to listen, you need to accept that nagging, you need to understand it's for your better, not for not because they're just put, mm, pulling your chain every chance they get. Um and so once we establish that it's not really an issue, uh, for the most part.
0: Keith, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us on the show today. Thank you for all your insight and wonderful advice that you provide and, of course, all the great care that you give patients, care partners, and caregivers in your therapy clinic. We really appreciate all of the great thoughts that you provided us today. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Head over to ppccaring.com for more resources. Please share this podcast with other fellow care partners and caregivers. Subscribe so you won't miss any shows.